This morning, I want to offer you a gift. And it's a gift that some of you will choose to take this morning and perhaps uh, let it shape the rhythm of your life. What you do with the song we've just sung has allowed you to do to breathe. And others of you uh, will find, that, find this challenging and may allow this to just kind of pass. But I want to I ask you this morning to, to listen, to receive the gift that God wants to give. Um, we've had a series about work. And today relates to that, but it's, a, it's to press into another part of our work or our life that's important. So I want to read several scriptures this morning to start out. All of these are going to come from the first five books uh, of the Old Testament uh, out of scripture. We'll start in Genesis. And I want to read these scriptures uh, and just let these words kind of uh, fall on you wherever they meet you today. Genesis 2 verse 1 is where I'd like to start. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The next passage I want to read comes from Exodus 23, beginning in verse 10. Exodus 23, 10. For six years, you were to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Exodus 31, beginning in verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath, because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from the people. For six days the work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Genesis 35, verses 1 through 3. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days, work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Turn the next book forward, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 7. The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord for six years. sow your fields and your six and for six years, prune your vineyards, gather their crops. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your male and female servants, and the hired worker and temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock 
and the wild animals in your land, whatever the land produces may be eaten. Finally, one more in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Let's pray as we open these texts. Our Father, our God, we come before you today, we come before your word today, words that were given centuries ago and that we have abandoned and not for our health. God, I pray that in the midst of this season of busy, God, which seems to be every season in our lives, that, uh, that you teach us again what it means to be people who obey your commands, all of them. Pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In all of our panic to keep the Ten Commandments posted in public places and courthouses, I think we've missed something. We missed something right smack dab in the middle of those tablets that were handed to us centuries ago. We often believe our culture would be in a much better place if we would choose to follow the Ten Commandments, and I would subscribe to that theory. But we don't really believe all of them if you take a closer look. Now, we believe that murder is bad and we punish it severely in our culture. We believe a culture without lying and stealing would be a better one to live in. But one of those Ten Commandments we don't take seriously at all. And it's actually killing us. It's commandment number four. I want to read it again. Deuteronomy was another rendition of those Ten Commandments, but Exodus is the place we probably know a little better. Listen to these. This is the longest commandment that's given, actually, the the most number of words and longest section in those Ten Commandments. Listen again. This is Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male and female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We don't really believe that command, do we? Let's be real. We don't really believe what the Bible says about the Sabbath. Exodus 31 and 35 seem pretty clear that this is a strong punishment that comes along with this. It's a capital offense. Anyone does any work on this day, they're to be killed which is interesting in light of other commandments that are given, but we know that murder is wrong. In fact, we have Christians who are on crusades to protect that command in so many different ways. I don't remember the last time that a crusade was given, though, about the fourth commandment. Because we've ranked the Ten Commandments, haven't we? Some of them are higher on the list, and some of them are lower on the list, and some just don't make the cut. Honestly, this is a lesser command. It's antiquated, we think. It just doesn't make any sense in 2018. And so we stand behind God in defense of God's command about many of these commandments, but not about keeping the Sabbath holy. We really kind of believe he didn't know what he was talking about. We kind of pat 
got on the head about this one. Well, that may have made sense back then, but not with the way our lives are today. Or maybe we've interpreted Paul's words in a way Paul meant them, or maybe didn't intend them. You know, there are places where Paul says, basically, the the law is done away with. Now we live by a new covenant. And so we keep some parts of the old law, like stealing and lying and adultery, but not so much the one about rest. If you pay close attention to our lives, our failure to keep the Sabbath is killing us. Humans were designed to live according to a rhythm. In fact, the first chapter in the book that we call our own, the Bible, has a rhythm, a beat, a cadence to it. It's a story about creation told in poetic form, right? Every single day there's a rhythm, isn't there? God creates, and then he steps back to look at what he's created, and he calls it good. Same thing happens day two and day three and so forth. And every day says the same thing. There was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. On and on, this rhythm, this beat, this cadence is there that ties directly to the way we were created as people created in God's image. And each day God creates more and he steps back and he's amazed by what he sees. For six days, this rhythm continues the same way. There was evening, there was morning. He creates, he calls it good. But on the seventh day, the rhythm gets interrupted. I want to read again Genesis 2 verses 1 and 3 to remind you of this rhythm that gets changed in a way. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. First thing God calls as holy is a day set aside for rest. In verses two and three, twice it says that God rested, which is something it didn't, probably doesn't need to do, right? I mean, he's God. He has enough to go around. He rests. The word there is not an accidental word. It's the word he Shabbat, which is the same word we get Sabbath from. He rested. He ceased from doing his work. See, there's this six-in-one rhythm that emerges throughout Scripture about work and rest. God tells humans, this is what you're to do because that's how I've created you to work. But it's not just humans. If you look closely, the animals are to have a day of rest. In the same way as the land on the seventh year is supposed to have a, a, an entire year of rest, a Sabbath that the land needs. And some of the ground that we've overworked, I think, we, is a result of not following in some ways this desire to see things lay fallow. God has worked this rhythm into the entire thing. And this six-in-one rhythm continues throughout all creation. Recently, I heard that animals in a zoo, if they're put on public display for more than six days, begin to show adverse effects. It's interesting that sometimes common sense is God's truth. It's not just some truth made up by others. So God models this rhythm for us. He doesn't just tell us to do it. He rests on the seventh day and he says, I want you to do the same. But there's a long distance that emerges between Genesis 2 and Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. Genesis 2, he creates and he says, this is the rhythm. And then we fall out of rhythm. It's not really the Israelites' fault. They are taken over by a guy named Pharaoh who has uh, cities to build. And he's using these Israelites in a rhythm of work and work and work without a day of rest. And so they come to be worn out. They come to no quotas. Every day it's a new quota with bricks to be made. Large structures that are built in Egypt today, perhaps at the hands of these same Israelites. Every day you get up. And the taskmaster has a quota, and you're to make that quota happen. Every day, it's bricks, bricks, bricks. Monday, it's bricks. Tuesday, it's bricks. There's no Sabbath day. And every day is just like the day before. This is actually the definition of despair, if you think about it. 
right? Despair is a spiritual condition. Despair is when you fall under the belief and conviction that tomorrow will simply be a repeat of today. Maybe some of you are feeling that right now. A sense of despair in your work, a sense of despair with the people you love most, a sense that things can't change. Maybe you've lost that hope. The Israelites certainly had lost hope that that could be any different. And after 400 years of the rhythm of work and bricks, work and bricks, you start to lose your imagination. There might be another way to live altogether. But this Exodus story isn't a story just about bricks and work. It's also a story about liberation. It's about a God who frees these people from not just Egypt and slavery. He's a God who frees his people from the rhythm of seven and zero, seven and zero, to establish again with the Ten Commandments a new kind of rhythm that goes back to Genesis 2. See, these Ten Commandments aren't just things we're supposed to put on courthouses. These Ten Commandments aren't just rules to govern a society. When God establishes these Ten Commandments, what he's doing is he's rehumanizing these people who had become slaves. With every one of these commands, he's trying to say, you learned a way of life in Egypt, but that life is not sustainable. And his dream would be that they would establish a new kingdom, that they would go and they would go into the promised land. And, but if you've been slaves for 400 years and you've been led a certain way, then it's pretty obvious that when you lead your own kingdom in the days to come, you only know one way to interact. They lost their imagination of another way. And God is trying to say to these people, there's another way to live. You don't have to live the way it's been handed to you. And, and, and so in Egypt, they had learned all kinds of things. You see, in, in Egypt, murder was the norm. We even know that Moses enacted that against God's will. In, in Egypt, lying was the norm. It was the way you stayed alive. In Egypt, stealing was the norm. Because if you could steal a bit of food to provide for your family tomorrow, why wouldn't you do such a thing? In Egypt, idol worship was the norm. There was the Nile God and there was the sun God. There were, even Pharaoh was a God. In Egypt, they were human doings, not human beings. In Egypt, your worth and your value was tied up in how many bricks you could produce in a day. So with the Ten Commandments, God is shaping a new consciousness, a new way, a new path that begins with taking one day a week to remind yourselves you are not human doings, you are human beings. Taking one day a week to remind yourself that you're not a slave anymore. Take one day a week to remind yourself that your worth and your value do not come from the number of bricks you can produce in a 24-hour period. So the commandment to take the Sabbath was not just a command about how to order society. It was a way to remind all of us of what it means to be human, to be created in the image of God who worked for six days and even in the rhythm of creation took a day of rest. And by the way, a number of them can't do it, right? Remember, some of this comes back to that manna that's given in the desert, and a lot of them They're still learning ways of stealing, and God's trying to build in them a new trust to say, no, 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 if you'll just take enough, there'll be more that comes the next day. God is building trust with these people to say, you don't have to live like you did in Egypt. And when you establish a new promise line, you don't have to set up laws the way they set them up. Because God knows something we often forget. It's one thing to get Israel out of Egypt, and it's a whole other thing to get Egypt out of Israel. And in our own culture, the same struggle is there, right? We can see ourselves the people of God that are separate from the culture around us, but there's a lot of that culture that still beats and thrives inside of us. Some of you may be thinking this morning, okay, all this work about, talk talk about rest, this isn't about work. What does this have to do? But this is about work. This is about knowing that the best work we can do has to, means we pay attention to the rhythms of our lives. 
Some of us need to pay better attention to what our bodies are trying to tell us. Some of your bodies are telling you you need to sleep more. In fact, some Sundays I see that quite often. Some of your bodies are literally wearing out. Not just age, it really is just this burnout, this work that's done over and over again. And and you're not paying attention to these signs. One thing I know to be true is this. You can either choose rest or rest will choose you. You can either pay attention to your body and the rest that's needed, the rhythm of creation, or something will happen that will lay you on your back. You can take a break and your body will, uh, or your body will literally break down and force you to break. Now, you know this is true when it comes to technology, right? Because every night, the majority of you, some of you may not use your cell phone this much, but the majority of you know, you better plug that phone in. Because if you don't do that, it may not get to noon for some of you, depending on your battery life tomorrow, right? But for others of you, it's not going to get through the day. A lot of us would never consider leaving our phone unplugged at night. But you know what? We spend a lot of our lives never plugging in ourselves. I really wish that I had like a, uh, a battery life percentage that somewhere was on my body or, or was on my phone that could show me not how low my phone was getting on energy, but told me how low I was getting, because we don't know this, right? We, we don't pay attention to the signs that are there, and burnout is always something that's there. It's really sad the way we think about work and rest. You know how many days that Bill Gates took off between 1978 and 1984? Six days. And some of us work like that, and we take that as a badge of honor. For some of us, work is too economically beneficial to listen to God's command about Sabbath. And so we look for reasons why we don't have to keep this commandment. Some of us have found a a defense in the Apostle Paul. After all, Paul talks about how he's no longer under the law. So we reason that the Sabbath was a Jewish command that Christians no longer have to keep. In fact, if we're good grace-oriented Christians, we walk away from those regulations that keep us bound to the past. Pharisees were the ones who were legalistic. You remember them. Some of you have memorized, to quote to your spouse or to to others in your life, that remember the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? need that gift that God gave to us? What is Jesus saying there? What he's saying is the Sabbath was never intended to be a legalistic thing to check off your to-do list. The Pharisees did have it wrong. But in our zeal to remove all traces of legalism from our religious practice, many of us have discarded Sabbath keeping and missed the wonderful gift that it is. The natural rhythm that it is. And we are worse off because of it. I found Sabbath to be one of the greatest gifts in my life. For the people of God in Exodus, Sabbath was a gift, but it was also a protest. It was a protest against the dehumanizing cycle that Pharaoh had inbred in their lives for 400 years. It was to say no to those things as they develop a new way. It was unique among world cultures at that time. It limited work, it limited profit-taking, it limited exploitation and economic production in general. And this meant that in the short run, this would hurt Israel and its economic impact. But in the long run, as you know, we all need rest to produce for the long term. Consider the quintessential uh, Sabbath-keeping company in 2018, Chick-fil-A. Some of you are going to want a sandwich in a few hours. I'm sorry to tell you, it's not going to be allowed, right? In 2015, Chick-fil-A produced $6 billion, working only six days a week. And I'm no mathematician, but that tells me that their decision to take Sunday off is a billion-dollar decision. 
Chick-fil-A's decision to close its doors on Sundays is one of the largest protests against the God of our age that we have in our culture. And yet, Chick-fil-A generates more revenue per restaurant than any other fast food chain in the United States. Something to this. For me, Sabbath is, is a way of protesting against the dehumanizing aspects of our culture. For me, Sunday is not my Sabbath day. It's a day of work. I'm grateful for that opportunity to serve you on this day. Friday is the day that I've chosen for my Sabbath practice. And on Fridays, I'm reminded of several things as I commit to that practice of rest and turning myself off, turning technology off, trying to live into those rhythms as well as I can. I'm certainly not perfect in it. But on Fridays, I'm reminded of several things. I'm reminded that I've bought into the lie that if I take a break, the world might not go on without me. And I'm reminded that's a myth. That's a lie. The world goes on just fine without me. Sabbath reminds me that I didn't create the world, and if I were removed from the equation tomorrow, the world would keep spinning. God would still have his work going. Because I don't know if you're like me, I like to overestimate my importance. Most of us struggle with this, I think. But Sabbath reminds me even about church work, which would be easy to say, I can't take a day off, this is the Lord's work, right? Too many ministers' families and missionary families have suffered because of that kind of thinking. But Sabbath is a reminder, this is Jesus' church, not mine. Not a leader's church, it's Jesus' church. There's going to come a day where, where I'm not the preacher of this church anymore. And I have to remind myself on a regular basis that that's okay. That there will be people who will come after will be faithful, just as God's been faithful in the past. I need this because I need to protest against the ways of Pharaoh and my own angri- agri- ag- aggrandizement. Is that how you say that? I'm thinking that it's all about me. I want to speak a word here that will be a word I want to land tenderly because I know that this will be an easy place where some elbows may be being thrown between couples. Our our culture uh, says a lot about work and life balance. And as I read in this material, there was a lot of thinking about uh, how do we balance between the different priorities in, in our lives. Some of us are killing ourselves for our bosses and for our companies. Some of us are much more comfortable telling our families no than we are our bosses. Let's face it, one of these days, you're going to come home from your office for the last time. Nobody retires from his or her family to spend his his or her final days at the office unless things go terribly wrong. Your last day may be at 65, it may be later than that, it could be at 35 if you're fired later this week. Either way, you're going to be coming home. And what and who you come home to will be determined by the priorities you live in the meantime. In between, I've seen too many men and women cheat their families only to find that their companies weren't nearly as loyal to them as they were to their companies. Loyalty in the marketplace is rarely reciprocated. And it's really sad when men and women are forced out of organizations that they bled for only to return to families that they've neglected. Is it really wise to give your ultimate allegiance to an organization when your value is conditional upon your performance? Why betray those whose loyalty is unconditional? Why devote so little time to those you'll eventually come home to for good? I hope this series will help you discover a clearer understanding of what your calling is, a greater passion for the abilities and the things that God has given to you to produce in the world. But if you have a spouse, children, you have a calling to them as well. And one day your job will be filled by someone else. 
But your role as a parent or spouse was never to be filled by anyone else. And I have to remind myself of this because I want this principle to shape my priorities, my time, everything that I devote my life to. Because this church will have another preacher in the future, but my kids will only have one dad. And I want to be committed as long as I'm alive that my wife only has one husband. Are you with me this morning? I want to challenge you to follow the Ten Commandments. I think these are great standards about life. I think they're great ways to live as humans fully devoted to the image of God and the mission of God in the world. Don't, don't kill anyone. I think we're all for that. And while you're at it, try not stealing and lying. But I can assure you that commandment number four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy is one worth keeping as well. Because we were designed to work and to work hard and to give all we have in those hours that we devote to that. We were also designed with a need for rest. A switch on our bodies that goes to off for other things so that we can devote it to God and to those who are most important to us. This is one area, not all areas do I feel like I can speak to, feeling like I've lived it out, but I've really tried to live this one out. And I remember early on feeling this nervousness about saying to my church, I'm going to take Fridays off to say to my leaders that. What I was concerned with is, you know, people tend to think uh, it, the work of ministry never stops. And what if there are emergencies? And certainly there are Fridays where I've had funerals to lead and, and, and counseling to do. But for the most part, I can tell you that that sermon's finished by Thursday afternoon. My wife could count on the, a handful, the number of times that I've somehow gotten back to the computer on Friday because that's been a commitment and a priority I've tried to live out. And I'm still struggling. We're going to have a series in a few weeks about technology. It's going to step on some toes again. But I think it's really important that we think about how we use this tool in our, our lives as, with our kids. But honestly, it's with ourselves, right? Because we're modeling for our kids a way of life. That's something I don't yet have figured out. I want to try to continue to do that. My Sabbath means I turn off the phone as well as much as I'm able to. But when I tell people that I take Friday off, what I haven't found is judgment. What I've found is that's the kind of modeling people want from leadership, right? An ability to say no. What that means to my staff is that they don't have to wonder if, if that's the, a, a wrong decision for them to do on Fridays because they know that I'm living that out myself. So I don't know what this looks like in your life. It's going to look different because some of you, this is a, a whole new practice, and some of you have been at this for a while. But regardless of how it happens, I think we all need to find a way to make this commitment in our lives. And I don't share this in a way to induce shame or to induce guilt. I don't think those things do anything for the spiritual life. I'm offering this as a gift that I think it can be in your lives. Not a burden to add one more thing to the schedule, but to reorient everything. Because what you'll find is if you live out Sabbath, you begin to question all the other craziness in your life. So for some of you, this may look like a daily rhythm of rest. Maybe it looks like just putting your phone to bed before you do and waking up before it wakes up. For others of you, it may mean going back to that devotional study that as you found have you gotten out of rhythm with. Make sure that every day there's a time where you're committed to life with the Father. I, I think all of us should be involved with rhythms and disciplines that lead us closer to the Father. This could be one of them. For others of you, it may mean on Saturday taking just three hours, right? I know the command is all day, but maybe with your schedule, you're thinking, how could I just start somewhere with this? Find a way to, to turn other things off, say no to some things so you can say yes to the right thing. I was reading something recently that I was sharing with Holly about where I, I, somebody was talking about just the rhythm of at least once a year finding a week to commit to Sabbath. Once 
a week committing a day to be committed to Sabbath, and once a day committing an hour to commit ourselves to Sabbath. What would that look like for you to think about rhythms like that in your life? Because you can't be on all the time. You weren't designed to be on all the time. It's so easy to find ourselves in that that thing, And, and our cell phones don't help because what they do is they put us on call all the time. But you teach people how to respond to you based on how you respond to whatever they're responding to you with. You get to set those boundaries. For me in my life, Sabbath is a must. And and I've told these reasons, but I just want to repeat them to you again. I need to take one day a week off because I need to remind myself that I'm a human being and not a human doing. I need to take one day a week off to remind myself that my work, my worth is not in what I produce. It's in who I am as a child of God. The bricks can wait for tomorrow. I need to remind myself each week that my work is finished even when it isn't for the day. I need to remind myself weekly that it's all gift and the only thing left to do is to receive the identity that God has to pour into me. I need a day off each week to remind myself that I'm good enough just as I am and one more email answered isn't going to change any of that. I need to take one day off a week to remind myself there's no one left to impress. I'm not a part of a job interview with my life. And there isn't a test that I need to complete each day. I need to take a day off each week to remind myself that if God needed a day of rest after his work, who am I to think I'm any different? And so I know this may be challenging, and I know this may be awkward with the realities of life as you're walking through this with spouses and with kids and trying to figure out what what does this look like. You're not going to step all the way to the end of where you want to get to this week. But what I want to challenge you to do is to take one step, to make one commitment, whether that's a yearly rhythm or whether that's a a weekly rhythm. Maybe if you're in a relationship right now, it's just committing to a weekly that you've gotten away from. But it's not just to one another. It's also a commitment to our God, right? It's to, 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 to realize that God's in control of things even when we're not. So I want to challenge you this, this week over lunch or, or later tonight or sometime this week to think about a commitment you would make to commit to this Sabbath commitment that's there. I truly believe that murder is something we ought to stay away from. The same thing about stealing and lying and idolatry and, and coveting. But I think this is important too. I think it's important we live it out as a community. And honestly, sometimes the church doesn't help this, right? Sometimes the church is just one more yes and calling you to way too much rather than you finding that rhythm and rest as well. We need to be aware of that as a, as a church. How do we foster this together? How do we grow in this together? So I, I, I leave this with you not in any kind of way to, to bring shame and guilt or to bring conflict into your relationships. It really is as, a, as somebody that's offering this to say, this has been a gift in my life. I think it can be in yours as well. Let's pray as we close our time this morning. Father, we received these commandments generations ago. Tablets that got destroyed once, thanks to Moses and his anger, but in your graciousness, you still handed them on again. And God, there have been times and seasons where we have done so much work to try to ensure that others see these commands, God, in places. Not realizing that sometimes ourselves we've not committed to them in their fullness. God, I'm reminded of how devastating killing is this week as we've seen on our televisions the devastation in Florida. 
God, we pray for those families today as some are in churches and others are, are not in churches. God, we pray that your healing and your comfort and your grace and your mercy would be close to them. As their tears flow, would they feel your presence, God? And would we as your church step up in whatever ways are helpful to that? Sorry for the ways that we've been complicit. We have blood on our hands for not obeying your commands. God, we've developed a culture where lying is so normal. We don't even, can't even count sometimes the number of lies that we tell, trying to cover up for other lies. And God, we, we're sorry for that. We repent of that. God, for, for the stealing that we do, for the theft that we're involved with, God, however that may look in our lives or in the life of our culture, God, we, we repent of those things, God, and we want to reshape our lives. Recently, we've had a whole series about idolatry, realizing that there are created things that we've placed above you as the creator, God, and we want to we dethrone those things and we want to put you on the throne once again. And God, we know that so much money is poured into causing us to covet in our culture, to believe that we're one purchase away from happiness, or to see the lives of others on Facebook and think if only it was one more vacation, we'd be finally pleased ourselves. And God, we're, we're sorry for the ways that we've believed that life is found in, in things and in experiences rather than in you. God, in the midst of all these commands that we think back on that you've given to us, God. We want to we want to apologize for forsaking the Sabbath. We want to repent, God, of our doing, thinking that somehow in our accomplishment or in our inability to say no to things, that somehow you're more honored by that. God, we're in a season right now leading up to Easter where many are choosing to step away from commitments in their lives, God, or choosing to take on new commitments. And I pray in this season that we would find a place for rest in our lives we'd be able to learn this habit of saying no, God, so that we can say yes to the best of things. God, I pray our families in the midst of this can um, cannot find this conversation as a guilt-inducing conversation, but a life-giving conversation. And, and as they meet you this week with their commitments, with their time devoted to you, our trust is that you'll meet them there. So God, that's my prayer is that you would encourage, even in the short moments we give to you this week, if it's a nap today, would you meet us there, God? Whatever we seek to to step into your rhythm of six and one in our world, help us to do that. We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.